Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you today on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Lord, we, your children, we've come hungry. We've come thirsty. We come with empty hearts in need of your overwhelming presence. We come with emptiness in our heart that needs to be filled with your word. Lord, we need to be challenged. Lord, we need to take hold of you with all of our hearts. So Father, I pray this morning as we continue in worship and we look at your inspired, infallible, and errant word that you will speak mightily to each and every heart that they will walk out of this shopping center of Calvary Chapel, Irmo, and they will say, the Lord is good. They will have tasted of you and experienced your overwhelming presence, your power, your glory, and the fullness of your word. In Christ's name we pray, Lord God. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. Again, um, wow, it's Palm Sunday. And I want to thank all of our visitors for being with us. Hope you feel welcomed. I hope you feel the presence of the Lord. And I hope you feel, literally feel, our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one passion we have, is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. And we at Calvary Chapel Irmo, we are a watering hole to come and dig into God's word. Amen? If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we are finishing up our verse-by-verse study. I'm not counting, but somewhere around, this is week 9 or week 10, and we're finishing up the book of James. Next Sunday, we will be looking at the cornerstone of Christianity. what, what, What brings us all together this morning? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reason we gather. That is the reason for our hope. And we will be looking at that next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, we will begin our verse-by-verse study through Peter. I cannot wait. I'm not trying to get ahead of the resurrection because I love the resurrection. But I'm so looking forward to our verse-by-verse study through Peter. It's going to be glorious. But anyway, this morning we're finishing up the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. And the title of my message this morning is Living in Light of Christ's return. Living in light of Christ's return. The Lord Jesus Christ is currently at this very moment seated at the right hand of the Father. And at some point in the near future, the Father's going to look to the Son and say, Showtime. And He's going to send Him back to this earth. And, and Christ is going to remove His bride from the church. You see, Christ came, He lived a sinless, perfect life. We know that is a fact. He died on the cross, that is the truth, to forgive us of our sins. That's what we get to experience. He rose from the dead. He ascended on high. And just as each one of those bullet points I just gave you is true, so is true that he will return. He will return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. And we call this the doctrine 
of the rapture. In verse 18, look at what Paul says in verse 18. Yes, I didn't put it up there. He says, therefore comfort one another. Comfort one another with these words. We can be comforted and we can be strengthened in our faith knowing that there's a target ahead. Knowing that there's a future event that we're all working towards. And that's where James, the brother of Jesus, is going in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, again, thank you for your word, Lord. Open our hearts, fillet our hearts, and fill us, Lord, this morning with your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. The reason I just went through explaining to you about the return of Christ is look at verses 7 and 8 of James chapter 5. James, the brother of Jesus, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soul, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient, strengthen your heart, for the coming of the Lord is near. So James is finishing up this letter, uh, admonishing them, admonishing us to be ready. To be ready, for the Lord is near. And when he uses that phrase, the Lord is near, in verse 8, back up at verse 7, he says, until the coming of the Lord, he's talking about the return of Christ. And what's he doing? He's giving us practical, everyday instruction to be prepared for the return of Christ. He says there in verse 7, there's a principle in verse 7 I want you to grab, and there's a principle in verse 8 I want you to grab. And the principle in verse 7 is, what does he say? Be patient. There's six Greek words in the New Testament that represent the word patient. If you look it up in Strong's, there, there's five or six different words. And this patient word that's used right here, According to uh, Vines, it means to exercise self-control in difficult circumstances and long-suffering. How many of you understand we are going through difficult times? We are going through difficult times, and we're going through a period where we're having to be long-suffering. And that's okay. That's okay to experience difficult times because it builds character. It builds character, and, and it builds faith. But he's telling us, in light of the return of Christ... Endure the difficult circumstances of life. Weather the storm. Stay the course. Endure. Let nothing shake you. Man, put your feet firmly on the solid rock of Christ with his word in your heart and his Holy Spirit guiding you. And don't be moved, brothers and sisters. Don't listen to all the noise. It'll just fill your head and give you a headache. But put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in the Lord and focus your life on him. It doesn't mean we're not involved in outside things and we, and we don't try to influence. And we can. But our focus and our heart for living the Christian life is being patient and enduring. Just like he says there in the illustration, like a farmer. Like a farmer taking care of his fields. And when a farmer takes care of his fields, some days it rains, some days it doesn't rain. But what's the deal? The farmer is in it for the long haul. You don't go out there and plant his seeds on Monday and then go out there and look on Tuesday and expect to see plants or just see vegetation. It takes time. It takes time and you have to be patient. And you have to, as a Christian, you have to patiently endure the trials and tribulations of life knowing that one day you will see Christ face to face. That is the hope of every believer. That's verse 7. And then verse 8, the principle in verse 8. I love this phrase. Look at verse 8. 
He says, you to be patient. Repeats, he, he, he used the word be patient in verse 7. Now he uses be patient again in verse 8 with a different uh, emphasis. He says, strengthen your hearts. This is the second way uh, we prepare ourselves for the return of Christ. You know, I don't think God calls us to go up into the mountains to dig a cave and get all our MREs and go hide for the apocalypse. I don't think that's what God calls us to do in light of Christ's return. He calls us to be where we're at in this life and be a witness in our communities, in our life, in our workplace. He says, strengthen your hearts. That phrase, strengthen your hearts, it means to grow. Grow in your love for Jesus. Are you growing in your love for Christ? Are you loving him more and more every day? That's what it's all about. That's what, it, that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. Above all other things, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, is are you loving Christ? There is, a, there is an emotional aspect to the Christian faith where we just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. You're great. You understand the cross. You understand the depths of what he did to forgive you of your sins. You understand the, 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 the mission of mercy he came to in this, to this earth to rescue you and to pay the price for your sins. See, he was sinless. He was perfect. He didn't need forgiveness of sin, but he went to the cross because you and I needed forgiveness of sin. And all we can do in the same response to that is, I love you, Lord. I love you. We grow in our love. Secondly, we grow in our obedience. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And that love for the Lord, that understanding of the cross, that understanding of what he's done for you, it causes you to want to obey him, to obey his commandments. You find it a joy in your heart to obey the law of God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We grow in our worship. We grow in our worship. We grow in, our, in the word. That's what we're doing right now as we're looking at James. We're growing in the word. And finally, don't run off to the mountains. Be a witness. Be a witness where you're at today. That's how we strengthen our hearts. We grow in our love. We grow in our obedience. We grow in our worship. We grow in the word and we be a witness where we're at in this world. We strengthen our hearts. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but for those who wait upon the Lord, they shall what? I love this verse. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's what we got to do, family. That's exactly what we got to do from Isaiah chapter 40 is we got to renew our strength. we got to mount up with wings like eagles, and we got to soar through this life like an eagle, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Let's continue, verse 9. Verse 9, you know, remember the theme is, we're basing our theme on verses 7 and 8. Everything else in this passage is building off of 7 and 8, talking about the Lord returning. Verse 9, he says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You want to be ready for the return of Christ? It starts with how we treat each other. It starts how we treat each other within the body of Christ. And it also starts with how we treat our neighbors in our community. You know, in the church, we don't want to murmur. We don't want to complain. We don't want to be... That, that squeaky wheel. We, we don't want to be, it's talking about that person with a bad attitude. That person has a bad attitude and, and they're always criticizing other people. Don't be one of those people because nobody's going to want to be around you. Nothing deflates the zeal 
And nothing deflates the zeal and the joy within the church body quicker than someone with a critical spirit or a bad attitude. What we need, what we need for all of us all together in this church, with other churches, in our community, is we need chemistry. We need chemistry. And we got to come together as Jesus prayed for one body and, and challenge each other, encourage one another to, to fulfill what James is talking about. He says, do not complain, brother, against one another. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. I call this the chemistry for the church. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. I could spend a whole entire Sunday morning talking about the, the words that are used to describe there what the body should look like. But do we look like this? And I, I'm not bragging about you guys, but, but I have to admit, man, here at Calvary Chapel, we have a strong bond. There, there aren't no squeaky wheels or, I mean, we, I, what I see within the body here, and I'm being honest with you guys, is within our women, within our men, within our students, within our fellowship, Man, we love one another. And I praise the Lord for that. I, pr I praise the Lord that I, I feel like and I believe and, and I've witnessed that we are doing this at Calvary Chapel. But leave, it, leave that passage up for a minute, Rick. But look at those words in verse 11. Encourage. We want to be an encouraging church. We want to be a church that encourages people to trust in Christ. We want to be a church that encourages people to live for the Lord. Then he says, encourage one another and build up. We want to be a church that builds people up and does not tear them down, okay? We want to build them up into trophies of grace, by his grace, by his spirit. Verse 12 says uh, that you appreciate them. Man, I appreciate you guys. Everybody here that serves in children's ministry, ushers, greeting, men, women, students, I appreciate you, and I am so thankful for you. I give thanks for you every single week. I hope you give thanks for me as your pastor. I hope I'm doing a good enough job, and I hope you don't run me out the door. But, but we need to be appreciative of those who serve us. Verse 13, he says that you esteem them, that you lift them up, that you uh, hold them very highly in love, and that we live in peace. You know, that we live in peace with one another. And I think we do a very good job of that for the most part. And I'm very thankful for that. But then in verse 14, there are going to be times where people got issues. And, and, and people need to be challenged. But we do it in a spirit of grace. In a spirit of love towards one another. Where it says, we urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Man, when you see a brother or sister struggling, come alongside them. Lift up their arm and say, come on, I'll help you to the finish line. I'll help you get to church. I will pray with you. I will help you along the way. That's how we're supposed to be towards one another. Not, not nitpicking and, and fault finding, but encouraging one another. All the more as we see, as we approach the day of Christ's return.
Let's continue. Verse 10. Verse 10, he says, um, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So now he's talking about the example of the prophets who, who were persecuted. You know, 11 of the 12 disciples uh, died a martyr. John, the beloved, was the only one that died of natural causes. The rest of them lost their life for the gospel. But they suffered greatly. And if you want to be ready for the return of Christ, you need to, you today in 2021 need to endure hardship, endure persecution, and suffering when it comes your way. You have to take a stand for Christ. You have to hold to the Bible. You have to hold to the Word of God as the final authority for all of life and godliness, no matter what the world may say. You know, and when you take this position, you may not win the popularity contest, but you will be approved by the Lord. And that's who we seek to be approved by, is to be, is to be approved by the Lord. Consider John the Baptist. John the Baptist confronted Herod Antipas concerning his adultery with his brother's wife. What happened? He, he confronted Herod Antipas, said, you need to repent. She is not your wife. Off with the head. John the Baptist lost his life because he called Herod out to repentance. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, Remember the word I say to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now again, folks, we're not going out headhunting. Please persecute me. Please persecute me. We're not, it's, not, it's not all about that. But it's about when it comes to that point in our walk that we have to take a stand for Christ and we endure persecution or we're not approved by the world, we just got to stay the course. And follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Follow in the footsteps of the examples of the apostles, of John the Baptist. Our job is to courageously speak the truth in love. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That wasn't practice, by the way. Good job, guys. But we're to, we're to courageously speak the truth in love. We do it in a spirit of love, in a spirit of compassion. You come across hammering people and preachy. They're probably going to cut you off. But if they see the authenticity of your Christianity and your love and your compassion, they're going to be like, okay, I'll listen to you. I can listen. And at that point, we speak truth into their life and we stand firm on the truth. But we be, we're ready, as the, as the ancient prophets were, to endure hardship, persecution, and suffering. Look at verse 11. He says, we count those blessed who endured who heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. And the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. Now, if you know anything about Job, everybody knows about Job, what? What is it they know about Job? The dude took a shellacking. He took a beat down. And he had to endure a lot. And we focus a lot on that. And that is true. He endured a lot. He lost a lot in his life in his service to the Lord, okay? He went through very difficult times, but the one thing he did was he stayed the course. He stayed the course, and at the end of his life, I don't hear this talked a lot about when we talk about Job, but if you go to Job 42, which is the last chapter in the book of Job, in Job chapter 42, 
verses 10 and 12, after Job endured the hard times and the difficulties of life, the scripture says, chapter 42, verses 10 and 12, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. You know, sometimes when we go through persecution, sometimes we go through difficult times, sometimes when life throws us a curveball, all we can see is we're kind of like in the fog of war. And sometimes it's hard to see out that fog of war. But Christians, you and I have got to press through the fog and look beyond to the future, knowing that Christ will return. And we have that, we'll have that one day we'll have that glorious reunion with him. And he will be our great reward. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 12. Living in light of Christ's return. Verse 12 says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no so that you may not fall under judgment. Question for you this morning. Have you ever heard someone say, I swear I'll do it. Or I swear to God. That makes me cringe just hearing that, by the way. I don't even like that phrase. Or, I swear on my mother's grave. Or, I, 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 I swear on my grandmother's Bible. Those are the people that I trust the least. Christian, we shouldn't have to say those words, ever. We should let our words as Christians be, you ready for this big theological word? It starts with an S. Simple. Let our words be simple. Let our words be truthful. And then let us follow through with the words that come out of our mouth. When I say, hey, Matthew, can you do this? Matthew say, yeah, bro, I got it. No problem. All right, cool. You know, not, don't swear up and down to heaven and earth that you'll do it or, or vice versa. If he asked me to do something, somebody says, hey, can you do this? I'll say yes or no. I may say send me a text <laughs> or send me a reminder <laughs> so I can hopefully remember. But just, just let our words be simple, family. Just let our words be simple. And let our words be a witness to those around us in light of the return of Christ. I find this fascinating. Scholars debate between uh, the first book of the New Testament that was written uh, in the first century, whether it was Galatians or James. But throughout the book of James, um, we see the Lord Jesus' words bleeding through his disciples. It, it is as if James is, is um, making this statement in verse 12 based on what he heard the Lord Jesus say in his life. It almost mirrors it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes this statement, and I believe this is where James, the Holy Spirit brings it to James because he remembers what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus says to his disciples, and James is standing there, I'm sure he says, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statements be, again, from the, our Lord and Savior, James reiterating, 
yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this is of evil. Make it simple, folks. Make it simple, make it easy. And let's just be people of our word. Be simple and be truthful. Speak the truth in love and, um, and let that be our witness to the world. Continues on in verse 13. I love this portion of scripture because it's like you're going through mount. Sometimes in life you go through mount, your own mountaintops. Sometimes you're in the valley. Okay? Sometimes life is great and sometimes you have a lemon and you're going through difficult situations. And I think that's where he's kind of going here. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, If anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. Suffering. If anyone among you suffering, are you struggling in life? Are you beat down? Are you worn out? Man, I was worn out this week. You know, I, I did three funerals this past week. And I, and I take them very near and dear to my heart. I got to spend three days this week with three families. And I, and, I, and I got to minister to them and pour out my heart to them and share the gospel with them and, and try to love on them and help them uh, be encouraged as, as they went through the process of, of losing their loved one. And that was very difficult. And then I get home Thursday night and I find out a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor's five-year-old son has cancer. I'm like, oh. It was, it was tough. It was tough. I was, I was mentally suffering. I was beat down. So what do I do? I give it to the Lord. I go to the Lord in prayer. I go, I go, I go to God in prayer. You know, then he says, if anyone is cheerful, that word cheerful in verse 13, it means good spirits. It means joyful. And what do we do when we're in good spirits and we're joyful when we're on the mountaintop? We sing praises. You see, the Christian life is not, like, it's not a bed of roses. Sometimes you're on the mountaintop, Sometimes you're in the valley. And on the mountaintops, we need to praise him, shout hallelujah, say thank you, Jesus, for everything you're doing in my life, and, and, and enjoy it and celebrate it. But then when we go through the valley, and it's, and it's not as good as it was on the mountaintop, and it's difficult, what do we do in the valley? We hold on. We hold on tightly to Jesus. We hold on tightly to him. We praise him on the mountain, praise him on the mountaintops, praise him in the valley. Pray for pray to him on the mountaintops, pray to him in the valleys. But we go through difficult times, we go through trying times in our life. And we we as Christians, we're not exempt from suffering, persecution, and difficult times. And we need to understand that and not let that sidetrack us in our Christian faith and say, Oh Lord, why is this happening to me? It's happening to you because it happens to everyone. We all live in this same fallen world. He continues in verse 14. This is anyone of you suffering? Is any of you cheerful? And then he says here in verse 14, is any among you sick? Is any among you sick? A physical ailment. He says, then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven by him. Can I just say in this passage, I just circle this this portion right here. I love this passage. I love this passage. I believe this passage because it is encouraging us as Christians to pray for healing. 
to pray for healing. It's like, okay, I see where you're at. You're suffering. You have a physical ailment. And he's encouraging us to pray for physical healing. And what does he say there? He says in verse 14, there's four things I see there. He says, first, call for the elders. Call for the elders. Now, I don't know if this call for the elders is necessarily, it's it's not reserved just for the elders of the church. I mean, you could call for uh, seasoned believers who have been walking with the Lord and know the Lord and know the word. But we're to call for the elders or we're to call for, I like to say, call for mature believers. And what what do those mature believers do, number two? Is, is they, um, they, they give a prayer. They offer the prayer in faith. In other words, they, they, um, they lay hands on and they pray for. And it says, offered in faith. What does that phrase, offered in faith, mean? That, that phrase, offered in faith, it simply just means believing. Believing. They pray for the person. They offer that prayer in faith, knowing that the Lord can heal. The Lord has the power to heal. And then the verse says, And um, at the very end of verse 14, he says, they anoint with oil. The anointing of oil in Scripture is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Is a picture, is a symbolic picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, the anointing oil doesn't bring healing. It's not the anointing oil that brings the healing. It's God himself who brings the healing. But I believe these are acts and steps of faith that the believers take when someone is sick and we're praying for healing, that they call for mature believers, they offer the prayer in faith, they anoint them with oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and the scripture says that the, they will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, when it comes to physical healing, we need to keep a couple things in mind. First, we need to remember this. It's God who heals. It's God who heals. It's, I have no power in and of myself. All I can do is be obedient to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit and lay hands on the individual and pray and beseech the Lord, ask him, Lord, please bring healing to this, to this individual. You see, Christ, God himself, is the great physician. He is the great physician. Exodus 15, 26 says, for I am the Lord who heals you. We know that phrase. He is Jehovah Rophe. I am the God who heals you. I went through and counted uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are 28 accounts of Christ bringing healing to an individual. And I thought about bringing one of those into the, into the teaching this morning, but there were so many of them. I just want to say that 28 instances from Matthew to John, Jesus supernaturally heals a sickness. And in four places... In the, in the Gospels alone, the text just says this, um, he healed many. So you can't put a number on it. You can't say, well, Jesus healed 38 people, or Jesus healed 28 people. All it, sa- it says, he healed many. He healed many. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 40, excuse me, Luke chapter 4, verse 40 says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying hands on each one, he healed them. It says they brought all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying hands on each one of them, he healed them. Does that sound familiar? 
Kind of sounds like what we're just talking about here in James. Now, I believe healing takes place today. I have prayed and I have witnessed God heal someone physically of their ailment. And I've been like, wow, praise the name of the Lord. What an amazing thing. <clears throat> and I rejoiced <clears throat> to see someone healed. But I got to be honest with you. I had prayed. There was a gentleman back in the late 90s when, at another church we were at, and he had cancer. And we laid hands on him, and we prayed for him, and we anointed him with oil, and we did everything that James chapter 5, and he passed away. He passed away shortly after our prayer for healing. And in my heart of hearts, I'm like, God, what are you doing? What, what is going on here? And that still quiet voice said, I am bringing the ultimate healing. I am bringing the ultimate healing to this believer. You see, Philippians 121, Paul says, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. To live is Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, if I'm going to live this life, I'm going to live it for Jesus. But if the Lord takes my life, it's a graduation. It's a graduation. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a glorious thing. You will be healed. Between now and standing before the Lord of glory. Okay? So is, is God going to heal my disease? Absolutely. 100%. We're going to pray that it happens in this life. But if it doesn't, he's going to heal you when you get to heaven. And you're celebrating with him in glory. And, but, it, but, going back to our, our passage, verses 14 and 15. Until Christ comes again. Until he splits that eastern sky. I believe that there is healing in Jesus' name. And if you are sick, we will do what the scripture says. We will anoint you with oil. We will lay hands. We will stand in faith. And we will pray for your healing. Amen? So yes. Yes, that, that was really encouraging to me this week as, as I was ministering to these families. And, and so please join with me in praying for Pastor Greg and Heidi for their five-year-old. It's gut-wrenching. And it's hard. i got to stop so I can preach. But it's hard to go through. It's hard to witness sickness in someone so young. So we, we pray for their healing. And we, and we pray that God will raise that young boy up and heal his body. Amen? Verse 16. Verse 16, so let's finish up this passage. Uh... James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Oh, what a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse this is, this encouraging us and challenging us. Family, verse 16 is real fellowship. Verse 16, this is real fellowship within the body of Christ that we get to know each other so well that we can share our weaknesses with one another. How beautiful, how glorious is that? That if my brother comes to me and says, brother, I'm struggling, I need help. 
I'm not going to judge him and condemn him, but I'm going to put my whole arms around him and I'm going to lead him to Jesus. And we're going to pray and we're going to confess our faults one to another. Because when we hold it in the inside and we keep it our little secret, it just festers and it grows and that sin that we're struggling with becomes a cancer. But if we will confess it to one another and, and hold each other accountable in a spirit of truth and a spirit of grace, oh, what healing will come to our hearts. What fellowship, what growth, what ministry will take place within the body when we get real. When we get real and we get transparent with one another. He says, confess your sins one to another, verse 16. And then he says, pray for one another. I'm glad he didn't say, and judge one another. No, he didn't say that. He said, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Bud, Andy, Rick, Randall, Robert, all you guys out there, we're all going through the same battle. Ladies, all the ladies out there, you're all going, we all go through the same battle. We all go through the same warfare. Let's come together and pray for each other and build each other up and help each and every one of us to grow in our relationship with Christ. And he ends verse 16, so that you may be healed. Again, verse 16 is real fellowship, it's real growth, and it's real ministry. That was just the first half of verse 16. Then the second half of verse 16, if you notice there, he, uh, I love this. He, he, he's he's going to um, talk about Elijah and prayer today. He says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man in a, with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and earth produced its fruit. Family, we've got to be people of prayer. We've got to be on our knees on our face, in our church, in our prayer closet, in your place where you meet with the Lord, and we have got to be praying. We have got to be uh, praying and seeking the Lord for healing, for ministry opportunities, for the lost, for the things that affect our lives and things that affect the kingdom. We've got to be praying mightily, not for ourselves. Not for our own wants. Lord, give me that house on the, on the hill or give me that Lamborghini. No, we're not talking about those kind of prayers. We're talking about prayers that affect the kingdom of God, like souls and ministry and deliverance and seeking the Lord to, to build our families, to love our children, to help them to grow in their relationship with God. And then the example he gives, talking about the effective prayers being a person of prayer, is he gives Elijah, and notice what he says in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man. He was a man. And then, if that's not enough, he said, okay, of course he was a man. He wasn't a female, he was a man. But then he says, he was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he was just a common man. He was just another Joe, like us men, just another fellow. But he was used mightily by the Lord. You see this common man named Elijah that you and I can learn from today. There were some things that he did that, that God used to use him in a supernatural way. 
Number one, he prayed. Number two, he believed. Number three, he trusted with all of his heart. Wasn't perfect, but he believed God and Elijah made himself available to be used by the Lord. See, we got to do those things. We got to make ourselves available. We got to pray. We got to believe. We got to trust. And because of that, Elijah was used mightily by God in the area of his prayer. See, that's one thing that we can all do. We can pray. Prayer is, is a ministry in and of itself. You know, we need people praying daily, weekly for our church. Please be praying for your pastor. Please be praying for our, our body, for the ministry, for the chemistry. Please be praying for our outreach. And I'm going to tell you one thing. If you hang around Calvary Chapel Armor long enough, there's going to be one thing that you're going to learn about this church. is Sunday mornings, we are focused on teaching the word. To, on this, this, this Sunday hour is focused on opening up the Bible. And I'm going to teach it verse by verse. And we're going to feed the sheep on Sunday morning. And on Wednesday night, the men and the women are going to get in their Bible studies. But after that, we're looking outwards. We're looking outwards. We want to be feeding Irmo High School sports teams and, and Dutch Fork. And we want to be in these communities and reaching out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are going to be focused on the outwards. But all of that, all of the the teaching of the word on Sunday mornings, all of our outreaches, all of our feedings, uh, fifth quarters, worship ministry, everything that takes place, it has to have a bedrock. And that bedrock is prayer. The bedrock is prayer. And that we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. That, that we say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in the community? And we see it, and then we join in and we participate in being led by the Spirit in our ministry. But again, the bottom line is prayer. So let's be like Elijah. And let's believe in the power of prayer. Let's believe that God moves mountains in response to prayer. And let's have faith like the ancients did. And trusting the Lord to do supernatural things in a supernatural way that, that could not be done unless it was done by him. Let's be like Elijah. And then verse, 20, verse 19 and 20, he says, uh, our, our last two verses this morning, he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Verse 19 and 20, in light of the return of Christ, no man knows the day, no man knows the hour. It may happen before I finish this sentence, or it may happen years from now, or, or I don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. We don't know the day. But until that day comes, you know, I, I, me personally, I plan my life as though I'm going to live for the next 100 years. I, that's how I plan my life, but I live as though he's coming tomorrow. But the one thing that we got to be doing in light of Christ's return, according to verses 19 and 20, is we got to be soul winners. We gotta be soul winners. We gotta be a witness, not only to the lost, not only to the lost, but also to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen away. When we see that believer who's fallen away, let's be like Christ. Let's go after the lost sheep. 
Let's encourage them. Let's lovingly text them, send them a message on Facebook. Say, hey, bro, we missed you Wednesday night. Or, hey, we missed you on Sunday morning. Hey, man, be encouraged. You know, we want to help those who have fallen away come back to Christ. He says, my brother, if any of you strays from the truth, and sometimes people stray, sometimes people walk away. Sometimes, and we don't understand why. We don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know what they're facing. Who are we to judge? We don't know. But it's our job as Christians to go after them and to lovingly bring them back into the fold. And then verse 20, he says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Again, soul winning is um, reaching out to believers who are struggling, who've lost their way, but it's also about reaching out to the lost. There's one thing that you can do here on earth that you will never, never get to do in heaven. Let's be a witness. Yep, once, 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 once you get to heaven... There's no, more, there's no more witnessing. There's no more evangelization. It's, the mission's complete. So let's do our best to share the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ with those around us and to those who've gone astray. And, and you know, leave judgment up to God. Just love on them. Bring them back into the fellowship and encourage them. And, and let that be the guiding principle of our life in light of Christ's return. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for worship this morning. Thank you for the study of your word. God, I pray that we would all learn from your word this morning how to live in light of your return. So, Father, help us to grow in these areas. Help us to firm up our Christian walk in these areas of our life. And uh, Father, teach us how we can ever be growing, ever be reaching out, ever be encouraging, and walking a life of faithful obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you.